God's word for our focus is that first lesson we heard, uh, Paul's inspired letter to Timothy, uh, chapter 6. This isn't worth it. With her heart broken, her body badly bruised, tears streaming down her face, with every sob she would cry out, this isn't worth it. Yusra Mardini and her sister Sarah, they were three weeks into their death-defying journey. They were refugees from war-torn Syria, seeking safety somewhere in Europe. But to be honest, they weren't just seeking safety. They were pursuing a dream as well. A dream not only of freedom, apart from oppression and war, but they were swimmers. These sisters were swimmers, hoping to somehow make it to the Olympics in Rio de de Janeiro. And so that was their dream, but now, with all this suffering, they were wondering, had they dreamed too big? Were they getting greedy? Had they lost sight of what was most important? Because back in Syria, they had a life. They had a home. They had family. They had friends. It was miles away now. The only thing they had experienced since fleeing were scamming human smugglers, uh, a ride in an overcapacity ride in an inflatable dinghy that turned into a three-hour death-defying swim in the Aegean Sea, They endured a violent attack, scorn, shame, ridicule from fellow human beings, and then finally rejection by the swimming world. It's in that moment that they had to be thinking, we gave up everything and it seems like we've gained nothing. And so now the whole painful, grueling journey culminated in one dejected cry. This isn't worth it. Yusra and Sarah's journey was 25 days. It doesn't seem like that long, but I'm sure it felt like a lifetime to them. So as we get into the Word of God, I wonder how long the journey was for Timothy before he started thinking the same thing. This isn't worth it. I think you know Timothy. Timothy was the one to whom this book of the Bible was written. This was Paul's letter to him because... Timothy had set his heart on being a pastor. Now, we probably all have our own reaction to Timothy's life goal. But I also know how people would have reacted in his time and place. Uh, We look at the verses just before ours in chapter 6, and we get this very real idea that being some kind of religious teacher and guide, it it could have a lot of social and personal benefits. I'm not going to read them, but I've put them, put them up there and underlined those things. Of course, you had to do it right. If you could be a religious teacher in such a way that you could stir up questions, controversies that get people to maybe question the way they originally received the Word of God, or maybe even give birth to the possibility of a new and progressive understanding of God's Word, People would listen to you. 
you'd be influential. If you could speak in such a way that was cutting, that was sharp, and made people suspicious of others and, and divided people, uh, groups of people, well, you would be a powerful speaker, right? And you would rise in prestige. And that, that influence, that prestige could get you financial gain as well. And that's what a lot of people were doing. If you said the right things and you did the right things in a way that people would notice, well, you could benefit a lot from that. And so you could see how some people had their hearts set on that kind of a position. There's just one problem for Timothy. As Paul writes to Timothy here, he's pointing out that he didn't set his heart on being someone like that. He wasn't just going to be a religious teacher. He wasn't going to be a spiritual guide. Interestingly, even pastor was an incomplete description of who he was. Paul reminded Timothy that in his life, first of all, but even in his vocation, he was called to be a man of God. Literally, a person of God. Think about that title. If you go back into the Old Testament, you realize what a big title this is. This was reserved for great leaders, prophets, kings. Think Moses, think Elijah, think David. Man of God. Now, obviously, this, is, this did not mean that Timothy would now have more prestige and more influence and more wealth. Actually, it was just the opposite. Timothy's character as a man of God was not going to be defined by the attitudes and actions of those who had aimed for personal gain. Instead, he was going to be characterized by the attitudes and actions that go along with being a man of God. Think about that, a man of God, the character of God, described as godliness. And we have a list of characteristics here. Righteousness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So just, we need to unpack those words. Just think about what Timothy's life was going to be all about. Righteousness. He was to have an attitude informed by what is right in God's sight. Actions that reflected that holy standing he had before God through Jesus. He was, to have, he, were, he was to have eyes that saw beyond the here and now to what God promised. And hands open to receive what God gave and what God take away, took away. He was always to be self-giving, not for self-gain. And that was independent of whether the person outside of him earned it or deserved it. He was to remain steadfast in the strength of God, even in the face of suffering inflicted upon him for the very purpose of getting him to give up. And then no matter how he was treated, he was to display no harshness, but tenderness and compassion in his dealings with people. It's quite a list. To be a person of God a man of God, a woman of God. And so, Timothy's whole life was to be a fleeing from that deadly trap of self-gain and self-promotion that so many had fallen into, and instead a pursuing of godliness. I wanted to spend a little time on that so it would soak in. I think we'd all agree uh, 
noble and very admirable. But at the same time, can you imagine where all of that would lead Timothy in life? Timothy knew. All Timothy had to do was think about the life story of the one who was writing him this letter. Right? Here's the Apostle Paul. He was a man of God. And what did it get him? A life of skepticism, rejection, death threats, death attempts, imprisonment. And that's all external. What about the internal struggles with sin and and then the guilt over failing to live up to such a title? All this to go back to my original question. I wonder how long it took Timothy to get to that point. What stage was Timothy in when he ripped open the envelope and started reading this letter? What was on his mind? Was he thinking about that sermon that he had just preached to an almost empty church? Were the stark accusations from other religious leaders still stinging his ears? Were those members that he dearly loved who had just walked away still weighing on his heart? Had he received any threats yet? How heavy was his conscience from not living up to this title, man of God? I feel like I can picture all too well Timothy with his head in his hands, tears soaking the paper, whispering with broken words, this isn't worth it. This isn't worth it. And then all of this makes me think of another man, yet another man who could have struggled with this same, this same thought. It's a different man with his head leaning on his folded hands in intense sorrow. Another man of God, truly a man of God, one who did nothing his whole life but obey God, uh, trusting his every word, one who loved so selflessly. In dealing with others, he, he, he had perfect tenderness and compassion. And yes, people dismissed him and they mocked him and they threatened him, but he remained steadfast. He endured. And what did it get him? This godliness. Well, as he was praying... It was just a few minutes before all those he loved, those who were closest to him, were going to fall away. And the weight of the entire world's rebellion was on him, and he was going to suffer the very wrath of God for all of it. Betrayal, denial, injustice, torture, hell, the shame of dying on a cross, Talking about Jesus, right? Jesus is by very nature God. And he never used it for his own advantage. Instead, he gave it all up to be a man of God, to serve you and me. And this is where it led him? I just wonder, through the tears, as a human, did he ever 
wonder, is it worth it? If he did, if he did, the answer came very shortly. With every last tear, with every last drop of blood, with every last breath, he shouted out, yes, it is worth it. And it sounded more like, it is finished. You see, with, with perfection accomplished and sin and rebellion paid for and people redeemed and resurrection certain, Jesus now received his ultimate goal of coming to the earth and his ultimate joy. Do you know what it was? You. You. Me. A life, a, a real life, life that is real life with his people. You see, when you give up something to get something, what you are saying is that what you are getting is worth more to you than what you have given up. And Jesus gave up heaven. Jesus gave up worldly wealth and prestige. Jesus gave up his own earthly life to get you. And so can't you just picture it? Those glorified hands with the healed nail marks. One of them is wiping the joyful tear off a smiling cheek. And the other one is waiting with outstretched arm to give you that heavenly hug, all while whispering, it was worth it. You are worth it. And once Jesus says that, it just changes the viewpoint of every woman or man of God who has ever wondered, is godliness worth it? From Paul, to Timothy, to you, to me. Yeah, there's a lot to be gained in this world, isn't there? There's, there's wealth, there's prestige, there's honor, there's... All this glory, if you just say and do the right things, it can be yours. And people would say, we are out of our minds to flee that, to not pursue it. But here's the thing. You and I, we know the character of God. Godliness. Jesus displayed it so perfectly. Righteousness, faith, love, gentleness, endurance. And he used every bit of it to pursue us. So that's why we flee. This deadly trap of self-gain and promotion. And we pursue godliness. It's not because it's easy, right? It's not because we're perfect at it. It's not because we ought to and it's the right thing and we should do it. It's not because we have this illusion that we can gain anything from God from it. It's simply because what we are getting through Jesus is worth more to us than what we are giving up. Right? 
Because in pursuing godliness, it's in that very pursuit that we receive the ultimate goal of ours and the ultimate joy. Real life, full life with Jesus. That pursuit of the godliness is that life with Jesus. That's what Paul means when he says, take hold of the eternal life. Enjoy that. Use it. You have this life now and forever. Unfortunately, Yusra and Sarah's story doesn't end like we would want it to end. Uh, only Yusra made the Olympic team, I believe. And she didn't even get to swim for her home country of Syria. She had to swim on a refugee team. Uh, Yusra did not win a gold medal. She didn't win any medal. She was 41st out of 45 swimmers. You look at that and you go, is it worth it? But you can look up her story. There's a Netflix movie about it. There's all kinds of interviews that you can find online. She would say that enduring through that suffering, pursuing that goal, swimming in the pool with all those great Olympians is absolutely worth it. To my knowledge, Timothy did not get rich and famous as a pastor. And as you and I, as we live out our callings as God's children, we're probably not going to be among the world's wealthy and elite. So is it worth it? Well, I would say that as we live up to that holy standing before God that we have through Jesus, as we look with eyes beyond the here and now to what God has promised, as we love selflessly as God has loved us, as we stand strong in the strength of God, and as we live out the tenderness and compassion of Jesus, as we live in godliness, well, doesn't it just stop you in your tracks? Doesn't it just fill your heart with so much thankfulness that tears start coming out of the corner of your, corners of your eyes? And you realize that's the greatest joy in your life. To live with Jesus. You have that now. You have that forever. So yeah, godliness is worth it. Amen.